Today on Points for Trying, we are talking about UFOs. In our case, that stands for Unsuccessful Flying Objects. Hey everyone, welcome back to Season 2 of Points for Trying. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jessica. And together, we celebrate inventions that were unsuccessful, forgotten, or just plain weird. In the 1950s, engineer Jack Frost was working on a new jet engine design. It was more efficient than other engines, but also much wider and shorter, shaped like a pancake instead of a cylinder. Since this would be hard to fit into a normal airplane, he started designing a disc-shaped craft, which could take full advantage of the engine. This eventually became the VZ-9 Avrocar named after the Avro Aircraft Company in Canada, where he worked. So, uh, have you ever heard of the Avro Aircraft Company? I have not. Not to spoil anything later in this episode, but there might be a reason why. An unsuccessful invention? Uh, maybe they were working on wacky shit instead of the kind of airplanes that would sell well. Maybe. The first flying saucer concepts were a bit pie in the sky. I see what you did there. Uh. <laughs> Frost envisioned a highly maneuverable supersonic aircraft that could take off and land vertically, but eventually he realized that he bit off more than he could chew. Pie. <laughs> <laughs> the design was scaled back to be a helicopter-sized craft that was pitched to the U.S. Air Force as a flying jeep. Ah, oh, man, everything, everything goes back to this jeep. It's always Jeeps. I feel like the armed forces just want a Jeep for every occasion, and, like, everything has to be a Jeep. <laughs> like, does the Space Force have any space Jeeps? If not, they're working on them right now. I'm trying to envision what that would look like. I suppose the Lunar Rover is sort of like a space Jeep? Space Force has a space Jeep. <laughs> I do want to look at this concept art. And it really is just a, a flying saucer with two army guys in it and a comically large bazooka hanging off one of the sides. Okay, real talk right now. Yeah? Do you believe that he designed it this way because of what UFOs were being discussed in popular media? Or do you think that prototypes being tested gave way to things that were being discussed then in the popular media as people saw the prototypes in the air? I'm not exactly sure uh, which came first, but this was after flying saucers had already become a thing. As we'll look at later, this probably isn't the source of anybody's UFO sightings. Gotcha. Unfortunately, even Jack Frost's lowered standards were too high for the Avro car. Literally. You see, it's less of a flying saucer and more of a hovering a few feet off the ground saucer. Any higher than that, and the craft would violently wobble from side to side in a motion that the engineers called hubcapping. <laughs> I don't have any videos to show you of hubcapping, but that, that seems pretty descriptive, right? You can, you can kind of picture it in your mind. Oh yeah, I can picture it. Doesn't that sound hilarious, but also would probably be terrifying if you were inside of it? Absolutely. Nauseating. The project was canceled in 1961, and the Avro Aircraft Corporation went out of business a year later. Big oof. <laughs> F in the chat for Avro Aircraft. Sorry, guys. 
I'd love to talk about the gulf between what they wanted to accomplish and what ended up getting built. Because the goal was something that could fly at Mach 3.5, three and a half times the speed of sound, and 100,000 feet in altitude. And the fastest this ever traveled was 120 miles an hour, and the highest it ever got was about three feet. So what I'm hearing is they did less of a Department of Defense invention and more of a flying car that the Jetsons had promised me, I want my flying car. You know, that's a really good point. Turns out we had flying cars in the 1950s, and they even looked like the Jetsons. What? This is what I'm talking about. Who has been squashing the flying cars? There's something they don't want us to know. (laughs) (laughs) I think what they don't want us to know is that the average car driver should not be trusted with an aircraft. The average car driver shouldn't be trusted with a car. We do that every day. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Good point. Uh, Things would get a lot scarier (laughs) if they could fly. As someone that has driven in Boston, New York, and Washington, D.C., I can honestly say there should never, ever be flying cars. (laughs) Okay, facts. (laughs) Okay, so this probably didn't inspire pop media science fiction, but kind of inspired hovercrafts? Talk to me, Goose. Yeah, according to the Wikipedia article, it was, quote, a rubber skirt shy of being one of the world's first hovercraft. The first hovercraft actually was built in 1959, and this is pretty much what a hovercraft is. It takes in air from the top, blows it down into the bottom, and a real hovercraft has a little skirt around it to to contain the air. The type of rubber skirt that I was thinking of was way more kitschy and, you know, wear it out to the ball. (laughs) Well, this was the right era for that, right? Exactly. So I guess between the 1950s and the 2020s, both the automotive sphere and the fashion sphere has just taken so many steps back. We no longer have flying cars and we no longer have rubber skirts. (laughs) And I want both. (laughs) You know, speaking of what we've lost, this design is just iconic. The shiny stainless steel, the big-ass fan that that sucks in air. And this has room for a crew of two, and each one of the crew members has their own plastic little bubble that does absolutely look Jetsons. I love this. And lay these and gentle thems. Go on and drink, because everything is space. Everything is space! (laughs) We're starting off this season right. Everything is space. We need to get that merch started. (laughs) I do have a clip of it in action, and it's just skimming along this grassy field like two feet above the ground going... If you had a cow in the way, it would run into it. Mm. But it's so curved that I think it would be fine. Maybe this is a a cow-safe design of, (laughs) of cars because... You know, the cow would just, like, flop onto it and roll away. It would just bumper car it off. Yeah. (laughs) I'm grateful that the Avro car was at least prototyped, even though it quite possibly led to the bankruptcy of Avro Aircraft Canada. Maybe they just rebranded and came back. I guess. I I don't know of any uh, modern Canadian aerospace firms, but they did make the robot arm that's on the space station. It's called the Canadarm. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> and it's great. Oh, Canada. <laughs> Since we're not Avro Aircraft, we do need to pay the bills. So we're going to take a quick break for some ads. Hi, I'm famous conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, and I'm here to tell you about today's sponsor, Tinfoil Hats. Let's face it, the government wants to know what you're thinking, and they're willing to use top secret, possibly alien, thought sense and radio waves to probe directly into your brain and erase your knowledge of the globalist reptilian New World Order. With our patented aluminum technology, you can fashion a custom-fitted metal barrier that provides 360-degree protection from the evil brain-scanning radiation. Use offer code WAKEUPSHEEPLE and get a free extra roll. Tinfoil hats. Powerful forces are coming for you. Stop them with some foil on your head. In 1947, physicist Maurice Ewing was working on a way to detect Soviet bomb tests. He theorized that if he could place microphones at a very specific altitude, they'd be able to pick up the sounds of very distant explosions. The only problem was how to get those microphones up there. The solution became known as Project Mogul. Apparently this was based on something in the ocean that's called the Deep Sound Channel, and is basically different depths of water have different densities and therefore can reflect sound waves. So at certain depths, sound can travel really, really far because it's like bouncing in between two different layers of different density of water. And Maurice Ewing knew about this and thought there might be that same thing, but in the air. Staying at a constant altitude while flying proved to be a problem for normal weather balloons. Because the air inside them expands as they absorb heat from the sun, their altitude varies a lot over the course of a day and night. The solution to this problem was to ditch the cluster of weather balloons for a single polyethylene balloon that didn't absorb as much sunlight. It seemed to work well, but it sure as hell didn't look like a weather balloon anymore. On June 8, 1947, the alien-looking contraption, yes, that's foreshadowing, was fitted with electronics and radar reflectors and sent on its way. Things were going great for about a month until it crash-landed in a little town called Roswell, New Mexico. Yes, this is what started the Roswell alien conspiracy theory. Listen, I want it to be real, okay? Okay. <laughs> little green Martians or little gray men with big eyes. There you go. Okay, so... Here's my actual conspiracy theory. This is what I 100% believe. I think the government specifically encourages UFO theories and UFO sightings because that way, anytime somebody sees a real experimental airplane or something they're not supposed to see, they'll just think it was aliens and they won't get suspicious about the government. You must listen to the same podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it make sense, though? It does. So you're saying that the government said that it was a weather balloon because it was actually a secret project. Right. I mean, this explains almost everything about the whole you know, Roswell crash site. 
the government had to cover it up because it was a secret project and this was the Cold War. But also, nobody was going to believe that it was a weather balloon because it clearly wasn't. So they just said, aliens. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) What are they going to say? Oh, this is our thing that we're going to use to spy on the Soviet Union with. True. Also, for the majority of people, it was in fact a UFO because it was in fact an unidentified flying object. It's right there in the name. The modern term is actually UAP, which would be unidentified aerial phenomena. I actually did know that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because we are the same kind of nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Friends, welcome on our nerddom trips. I guess this shouldn't be a surprise, but most of the pictures I could find for Project Mogul are of the Roswell crash site. (laughs) But other than that, you know, it's a really big balloon. And it's got stuff hanging off of it. And the material is this really thin, silvery, like those space blankets that that they hand out at the end of a marathon. Yeah, in the 50s, I might have thought that this was aliens. If anyone has ever seen glass being blown, when you pick up glass and it's formed a ball on the end of the tube that you're going to be using to spin it and blow, and you've got the glass dripping down. So you've got a ball at the top and the glass dripping down. That is what that reminds me of. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, imagine that the glass is being blown off of the deck of an aircraft carrier. Oh, yes. Also that. Potato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) I think sometimes we talk about how we would improve these inventions, and I'm kind of at a loss because I think they're both pretty perfect. I think the first invention is perfect, and I want it as my flying car. (laughs) And I think Maurice Ewing's polyethylene balloon probably wasn't going to be successful anyway, simply because sound isn't going to work the same way in the air as it would under the water because of the PSI. So I think that that one just wasn't going to be a thing. Yeah, I don't actually know if there is a deep sound channel, but in the air, uh, I I don't think so, but it's a pretty cool balloon. I do have one piece of criticism for the Avro car. Is your criticism that you weren't in it? (laughs) My criticism is that this happened before I was alive. Fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, two pieces of criticism. First piece of criticism, it's not in my driveway right now. But I do want to draw your attention to the Air Force's hand-drawn rendering with the big bazooka just hanging out one side. I'm pretty sure if you ever shot that thing, it would just make the saucer spin around like a top. (laughs) So maybe if they put two of them... Oh, shoot simultaneously. Yeah, it really looks like if you were... Like standing on the edge of a merry-go-round and then you threw something really heavy. Like you're you're just going to (laughs) spin. I think the only way to do it is to have it on both sides. But even still, then you're going to propel yourself backwards, which feels anticlimactic and not exactly what you were going for. Unless this is the perfect vehicle to retreat in. Run away! Run away! They just shoot behind them. They, they swivel it and shoot directly behind them, which propels them forward in their retreat. You know, I think the best military application for this is that the enemy might think that you're aliens. 
And the government will back it up. <laughs> okay, about that time again. For the first time in season two, sir, does it get points for trying? Let's start with the Avro car. I think it gets uh, one point for looking almost exactly like the Jetsons and hashtag everything is space. <laughs> it gets one point for being a hovercraft before hovercrafts were cool. And it gets minus half a point for possibly contributing to the downfall of the Canadian aerospace industry. Boo. Well, how about you? For me, I think the Avrocar gets a point for essentially being my Jetsons moment, a point for looking pretty dang cool, and minus a half a point for that gun, because it would just <laughs> spin you out of control. Mm. Also, it was pretty functional. It did work, not exactly as anticipated, but it did get off the ground and go pretty fast. 120 miles an hour is nothing to shake a stick at, so I'm going to give it another point. I think we can all identify with the Avrocar. We've we've all started a project with so many ideas about what we wanted to do. And, and by the end, we've lowered our standards and given up completely, just like every New Year's resolution. I was going to say, this is the flying equivalent of, I'm going to go to the gym every day. <laughs> and six months later, you've used your exercise bike once. I feel attacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on so that I don't cry. <laughs> Project Mogul. Does it get points? Yes. This gets one tinfoil coated point for starting the UFO conspiracy movement. Here, here. And for the first time, we've got a mail-in point from the New Mexico Tourism Department. And what do they say? Thanks for making Roswell a town that people have heard of. <laughs> no, come on. Name anything else in Roswell. Dirt. <laughs> Cacti. Pretty sure of it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. For me, it gets a point for taking something that happens in real life, the deep sound channel, and extrapolating it to a problem that they had at hand to see about getting listening devices and how to best utilize science to do that. So I'm going to give it a point for how it was creatively addressing that problem and a half a point for starting the alien thing because, I mean, listen, we got a lot of good movies out of that. So, the Avrocar gets four points, Project Mogul, three and a half. We'll see how they stack up against next week's competitors. Well, in the meantime, keep watching the skies. <laughs> That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And as always, if at first you don't succeed, blame it on the aliens. <laughs>